I guess what I'm asking is, was it about the performance? Like, like was the team just playing so horribly that the frustration just... The record didn't have nothing to do with it. Losing ain't new in Balmer, okay? You really think I walked out because of a 12-game losing streak? Because the thing is, in 87, 88, those were lean times. I thought we'd never go back there. We started 0-21 in 88. I, I was 9. I was heartbroken. Eddie was gone. Cal was still around. But the birds were... Well, they were fucking awful. And I knew it. And it broke my heart. But after that 21 start, when they came back to town for that first home game, I knew I had to be there. I mean, all Balmer was there, it seemed. We sold that fucker out. Whole fucking stadium going nuts for our shitty team. Ain't nothing like that. That's Balmer. This is Beneath the Headlines, 50 Cent Beer Night and a Legend of the Dundalk Upper Deckers. I'm Megan Stanton. Chapter 2. The Ballad of Big Joe. After months of investigation, dozens of unanswered calls, dodged questions, and dead ends, here he was. Big Joe Bandicoot, the folkloric Orioles fan, missing ever since the tumultuous night at Camden Yards, wanted to talk to me. Of course, I'd been trying to talk to him for months. I had a thousand questions about him, about the Upper Deckers, about 50 Cent Beer Night. But first and foremost, I needed to know, so can I just ask, where have you been this whole time? Hello? Joe? This wouldn't be the only time Joe voiced his dissatisfaction with a question by hanging up on me, but this first time I didn't know what it meant. I had spent months searching for Joe and he was gone just like that. Thankfully, after a few anxious days, Joe called back. You know how many reporters have come around asking for me? Of course you do. All of them. Everybody wants to know where I've been. If I was interested in sharing that particular piece of information, I would have answered the phone when Woodward called. God, he was annoying. Meat Hooks told me you wanted the real story of the Upper Deckers. You telling me you're like everyone else? No, no. I, I do want to know the real story of the Upper Deckers. I, I absolutely do. But I, I also want to know the real story of Big Joe. Not a very interesting story, I'm afraid. I was just a heckler. Now I'm just an outcast. People thought Pete Rose was bad? Compared to 50 Cent Beer Night, betting on baseball probably looks cute. Well... Uh, how about before we get to 50 Cent Beer Night, we talk about you a little bit. What do you want to know? Well, um, were you always an O's fan? I'm <laughs> from Dundalk. When you're born in Balmer, you're born an O's fan. That's just how it goes. My first game was in 87. Yeah, back when we were still at Memorial. That's where the real games were. I mean, Camden is beautiful and all, but Memorial was the place. Yeah, but my first game was in 87, like I said. The first thing I remember of the most, though, was the chance. Eddie, Eddie, for, for Eddie Murray, and, and Cal, Cal, for, for Junior, of course. <laughs> I was just a kid. I thought they was yelling, Cal, <laughs> so I yelled, Horse! <laughs> I guess I was an asshole even back then. <laughs> was, was that your first heckle? I'm not sure if that counts. I remember the first time I intentionally heckled, <laughs> oh hell yeah, in the summer of 90, the fucking Queen of England came to watch a game, and I was out there with the guys. Greg, Craig, Pincho, Crapbag, Hustler, Steve, Dante, Leon. Almost everybody was there. That night pretty much changed my life. The A's left fielder was Ricky Henderson. Now, Ricky was a great ball player. 
all-time steals king, all-time leadoff home run king, but more than anything, Ricky was an asshole. Nobody liked Ricky, except Ricky. Ricky loved Ricky. So naturally, the boys laid into him. Hey, Ricky, you jealous of the king? Ricky, how come you're not in the box with the queen? Stuff like that. And then all the guys joined in, and it got rowdy. I ain't never seen anything like it, and I loved it. And Ricky, he kept turning around, looking at us, shaking his head. It was about at that point, the hustler starts talking me up. Hey, do it, kid, do it, do it, go for it. I stood up on the bleachers, and I screamed as loud as I could, Hey, Ricky, the queen says, like, your farts smell like bologna. <laughs> I know, I know. By my standards now, it wasn't all that good. But that night, it got a reaction. My voice was high, but it was loud. And Ricky noticed. He turned around, and he looked me dead in the eye. And then he turned back to the field, and he bent down like he was tying his shoes. And he reached back through his legs, and he gave me the finger. It was amazing. Everyone started cheering. Hustler picked me up on his shoulders. They chanted, Joe, Joe, Joe. When we was leaving, Leon, he leaned over to me and said, sorry for corrupting you, kid. Corrupting? Fuck that. I had a calling. Knowing Joe's humble beginnings was useful, but it didn't answer the questions that people have today. Namely, just where was Big Joe Bandicoot? Naturally, when I asked Joe that, he just hung up on me. So I went to his number two and three. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who says I know where he is? Well, you clearly told him about my story. So did you meet up with him? You ask a lot of questions. You know that? Uh, yes. I mean, I am a reporter. Look, all you need to know is the less you know about where Joe is, the better. So do you know where Joe is? I mean, can you tell me where I might meet up with him? Of course I know where Joe is. You do? Yeah, obviously. Well, I mean, where is he? I mean, how can I, how can I find him? Oh, I can't tell you that. Okay, well, have you seen him since 50 Cent Beer Night? Nah, 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 I don't think so. You're not putting some government spook on my trail. Listen, I've known Joe a long time. Of course, I always called him Sergeant Pepper. But if there's one thing Joe knows how to do, it's talk. If he wanted you to know where he was, trust me, he'd tell you. That much was clear. If Joe wanted to talk, he would. He talked my ear off with stories from his days at Memorial Stadium. He recalled innings from games played 30 years ago, like he was recapping last night's highlights. When it comes to baseball, Joe's mind is like a steel trap. He'd talk to you about it all day if you let him. Other topics? Not so much. So I'm hoping you could shed some light on how you funded the Upper Deckers. How I funded the Upper Deckers? Yeah, I mean, you know, most startup baseball teams don't arrive at their first game with, you know, uniforms and a team bus. Did you have, you know, sponsors? Don't dance around it, hun. You want to know where the money comes from? Well, I already told you, it's not important. The story of the Upper Deckers isn't about money. It's not our legacy. It's not what the team stood for. What what did the team stand for? We stood for Balmer. We stood for the tenacity of the city, for its rough edges and its passionate, burning heart. For the hardworking people that live here, building a legacy, not just passing through another stepping stone in a career. Baseball's a game of teamwork, of strategy and adaptability, of grit. That's what Balmer's about. And that's what our team played for. You don't think that the Orioles stand for Baltimore? I never said that. I never said that. People keep trying to paint me as a traitor, like I turned my back on demos. It's bullshit. I never turn my back to the birds. If anything, the Upper Deckers should have reminded them why they're here. 
what the game's all about, what the O's used to be about. But they was never going to get the message as long as that asshole was leading things. You mean Brandon Hyde? No, Genghis Khan. Yes, Brandon fucking Hyde. This was Joe in a nutshell. Nostalgic and endearing one minute, only to be set into a rage the next. Brandon Hyde's name in particular sets him off, but he isn't alone. Joe may have started a campaign against the Orioles, but it's clear his fandom never wavered. Like any good fan, he was ready to jump to their defense at a moment's notice. Like when discussing... I always said we were the best fucking team in baseball in 96. Wasn't there some controversial home run in the World Series? There wasn't no fucking home run. And it was the ALCS when that Yankee plant, Jeffrey Mayer, interfered with the play. I tell you, he was on the take. Well, he was just a kid, right? Spy. Kid. Spy kid. Whatever you want to call him, he was a Yankee plant. I tell you. Steinbrenner paid him off. That kid killed our momentum and he cost us a ring. I say it, I'll never forgive that little motherfucker. I'll punch him in the face. Or perhaps Yankees and Red Sox fans at Camden Yards. At least the Yankees didn't make a Yankee Stadium South shirt like the Red Sox Fenway South shirt that was a team-issued giveaway for purchasing a travel package to Oriole Park. I mean, can you get any more classes than that? A team issued... So it was clear Big Joe was very much still an Orioles fan. So then what happened? What did Brandon Hyde say to him that night to make him set off on such a dramatic course? So to get back to Hyde for a second, uh, what happened that night? Nothing wasn't boiling for a long time. Listen, I thought I'd like Hyde from the get-go. He wasn't buck, but he seemed like he was willing to get his hands dirty to turn things around. I asked him a question at FanFest that year in one of those coaching panels, but he didn't really answer it. I still wanted to give him a chance, but one thing I noticed quick, he don't take a ribbon too good. See, the thing is, most of my heckling is safe for the other team, but a good friend gives it to his buddies even better. So I laid in at the birds some over the years, called a bullshit call a bullshit call. I mean, them birds knew who I was. They knew it was with love. So most of them laughed. Not this new regime, though. Specifically hard. I heckled him some over the years, sure. But not out of pocket. I heckle everybody. That's what I do. It, it's what the people want. Remember when they put up the Hall of Fame statues in the garden? I was out there cheering like hell. But then when everyone left, I stay and heckle the statue a little bit, just for fun. <laughs> people got a kick out of that one. I just can't take it. That's probably what led to Davis trying to kill him. On August 7th, 2019, Brandon Hyde and first baseman Chris Davis got into an altercation in the Orioles' dugout. Cameras show Hyde saying something to Davis before Davis explodes, being restrained by fellow players and coaching staff before calming down. Hyde then removed Davis from the game. In true baseball fashion, however, neither party wanted to talk about it. So what happened the other day with Hyde? Have you two patched things up? Yeah, we're all good. Uh, I was frustrated at myself for the inning before. I think it's pretty obvious the uh, offensive struggles I've had for quite some time. I, I feel like night in and night out, I've still, still done a really good job of being there on defense and picking guys up. And for me in that spot in the game and that point in the series, uh, like I said, I just hit a breaking point. Brandon and I have talked. I knew right after it happened that we were going to be fine, and it was just one of those things, and we are. Like I said, it happens over the course of the season. So Davis might not have been ready to kill Hyde, as Big Joe suggested. Chris seemed more than willing to let things go. Turns out the Orioles were too. Shortly after he announced he was having hip surgery and expected to be out for the season, 
the Orioles released Chris Davis, ending his bumpy time in Baltimore. Despite all that, however, Davis never seemed to hold a grudge against Hyde. Big Joe, on the other hand... You ask me, Hyde's been out of his depth since day one. Take his first game, for example. Alex Cobb's pitching, right? He gives up a home run, so I start shouting, pull him, pull him, pull him. I was near a dugout at that game, so I know Hyde heard me. But wouldn't you know it, Hyde pulls him. <laughs> Still cracks me up. Cobb wasn't doing all that bad, but Hyde pulled him and the bullpen immediately gives up hit after hit after hit. Okay, but wasn't that your suggestion? Am I manager, hon? What the fuck do I know? What's the manager of a major league team listening to some heckler in the stands? Are you kidding me? Shit, maybe I should have been running a team the whole time then. Well, didn't something similar happen the night you two fought? No! Are you kidding me? That was totally different. Means was dominating, and here comes Hyde to pull him. Why? Because he gave up a walk on a full count? It was Angel fucking Hernandez behind the plate. Of course Means didn't get the call. Everyone knows Hernandez is the worst ump in baseball. So here comes Hyde, pulling Means when he still got gas in the tank. So I told him he was making a mistake. That's all you told him. Yeah, I can't say exactly what I said. No one can. But but listen, when you're heckling, you can't be responsible for everything that you say. It's the heart talking. Okay, so you don't remember exactly what happened? Well, it's like I said. No way to know for sure. Well, actually, Joe, uh, what would you say if I told you that we could know? What are you talking about? Well, it took a lot of digging, but um, I found a recording of the fight. What's on your list of every brilliant thing worth living for? Ice cream? Water fights? Skinny dipping? Don't we all have the capacity to find joy and resilience in life's little moments? Single Carrot Theatre presents Every Brilliant Thing by Duncan McMillan and Johnny Donahoe. This solo, outdoor piece of theatre invites audiences to help tell a funny and moving story of holding on to hope in life's darkest hours. Every Brilliant Thing runs from September 3rd through September 26th at Single Carrot Theatre in Baltimore. For more information and to buy tickets, visit singlecarrot.com. is wrong with you, Brandon? Hey, Hyde! Hyde! Why don't you and Hernandez switch places? Because even he wouldn't fuck up a call this bad. I can it, Joe. What'd you say to me? I said that's enough of your clueless advice. Take a seat. Clueless? Please, a fucking Labrador could manage his team better. I said take a seat. I listened to your bullshit armchair managing one time, and it cost me my debut. What the hell are you talking about? So don't come at me with your two-bit, half-baked ideas. Leave baseball to the professionals. This from a guy who couldn't even make the majors as a player. I play the game. What do you do? Get drunk in the stands and curse? Yeah, hero Baltimore, this guy. What the fuck you know about Baltimore, bud? Huh? Then go start your own fucking team. Hey, hey, Bird, get out of my way. Hey, come back here and face me, Hyde. Hyde, what would you do that for, Bird? You want some too? Yeah, yeah, I'm going, I'm going. So you don't think you crossed any lines there? Listen, when you're in the throes of feedback, you can't censor yourself. And like I said, I didn't speak out of school. You seen his minor league numbers? Hyde's a joke. Now, Joe, I mean, what would you say if a fan talked to you or to one of your players like that? I mean, what if someone talked to Meat Hooks that way? If someone talked to Meat Hooks that way, Meat Hooks would have eaten him alive. <laughs> okay, but... No, seriously, Meat Hooks may literally eat that person. Sometimes I wonder about that guy. So Joe's memory of the inciting fight may have been a little polished. 
but the tape definitely shed some light on the famous smack talker. Joe may have been a prolific heckler, but he couldn't always take what he dished out. The revelation of Hyde's parting shot was also fascinating to me. So is that what made you start the Upper Deckers? Hyde telling you off? Haven't you been listening? Hyde doesn't know shit about Balmer. He shouldn't be representing us. He's made a laughingstock of the birds and a city. I said enough was enough. Someone needed to start playing with the real spirit of Balmer. The Upper Deckers did that. If 50 Cent Beer Night hadn't gone sideways, we'd be remembered as national heroes. <laughs> so, how come the Upper Deckers? It's an intimidating name. It was supposed to be about Upper Decker home runs. I didn't know about this poop prank. <laughs> Shame, though. Sounds fun. But you ran with it, though. I mean, Dookie, the commode. What can I say? I know not to go against the tide. People thought it was a joke, so I figured we'd better be the ones telling it. As the summer of 2021 went on, the Upper Deckers became less and less of a joke. They were becoming a movement. Their games against the elementary schoolers were so packed, they started selling tickets and giving all the proceeds to the school. ESPN and the MLB Network started to show nightly highlights. They were no longer a local oddity. They were a national sensation. Then, when Good Morning America interviewed Big Joe and Diana Domino, the story hit the stratosphere. It was supposed to be us and Meat Hawks, but he got into a fight with that George Stephanopoulos backstage. He called me Meat Pie. He's lucky Strahan was there to hold me back. That's all I'm saying. Meanwhile, the Orioles were trying to laugh the situation off. On Twitter, they'd send a few playful jabs at the Upper Deckers, but for the most part, they tried to ignore Big Joe and the gathering storm that was in Dundalk. But Joe isn't easily ignored. And at the beginning of August, he played the ace up his sleeve. Listen, don't hang up. But I have to ask you one more time about the money. I told you, it's not important. But how can you say that when it was so intrinsic to getting the attention of- Because of a bus and some legit uniforms? That's not what made us a great I'm not talking about the bus. I am talking about your first baseman. Oh. Well, what can I say? I had some money under my mattress. And we go live to the press conference as Chris Davis steps up to the microphone. Let's listen. Uh, thank you all for coming. Uh, listen, you all know I'm, I'm not much of a speaker, so uh, I'll try to keep this brief. It's no secret that my time with the Orioles didn't go as planned. I didn't play up to my standards. And the Orioles definitely didn't get the Chris Davis they paid for. But I love this city, and uh, I love this sport. And that is why... I'm thrilled to be announcing today that I'll officially be returning to the field by signing a one-year contract to play first base for the Dundalk Upper Deckers. This is episode two of five of Beneath the Headlines, season one, 50 Cent Beer Night and the Legend of the Dundalk Upper Deckers. The show is produced by Paul Diem, Matthew Shea, and me, Megan Stanton. Jeremy Weinstein is our technical director, with production assistance from B. Clay Meyer, Genevieve DeMai, Sid Cohn, and Elise Benhagen. The show is edited by Matthew Shea, and our theme music is by Daniel Baird Jr. Beneath the Headlines is sponsored by Single Carrot Theater. To learn more about Single Carrot and their productions, visit singlecarrot.com.